You know, and the, I love that about podcasting. It's the best way of networking that I have found by a long shot. And having people on the show who do similar things that I do is the best podcast because we end up mm. having great conversations where people find value in what we talk about. Let's start with the podcasting because that's what we're doing right now. How long have you been podcasting? Oh, I've had my I had my first show in 2018, the very beginning, and it was horrible. Um, but I've had Chase the Vision with Isaac Mashman since 2019. So June 10th will mark three years of my my one show. Just just celebrated 100 episodes recently, actually. Three years. Three years to get 100 episodes. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay, okay. Judge me, Shannon. Judge no, me. I'm no, not, uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, saying. oh my God, I wish that I had done that because I did 100 episodes in 100 days. Mm, geez. Well, here's the thing, though. The interesting thing is I started it out and it was called something entirely different. And then I did a pivot with my personal brand, did a pivot with what I was pursuing professionally. And then I decided to rebrand the podcast and change it to a different name. And so like the first 20 episodes are underneath a different title. I introduce it differently, but it was really a challenge being consistent with it because it takes so much time. But then also not even the editing and the uploading, that's easy. But what's complicated is taking the time out of your day to record it and to find the inspiration and the like kind of be in that energy of recording something that's high quality. And my show isn't always interviews either. And so sometimes it's monologues, but how do I keep a 15 or 20 minute monologue going and talk about a subject that, you know, at that moment, I feel like I'm able to talk about for an extensive amount of time, but no, it was good. It was good. It's, it's been a lot of fun and I'm looking to see what, I don't know, I do for the next hundred. And um, it's actually a question is like, how do you determine when a podcast is like something that you should stop doing or if you want to continue growing? And so that's something I've been thinking about lately. Yeah, because it, it does take a lot of time. And mm -hmm. unless you've got a big, huge audience, you really, it's just your time. You're not really getting too much back from it beyond maybe some networking and the fact that you're putting something out there and maybe the right person sees it, but it's not a job. Mm. Unless you have a big yeah. following and you have ads and, and sponsorships. But I think you do it for as long as you enjoy it. Mm. Mm. Well, a podcast too, it, it definitely benefits you from a credibility standpoint. Being able to say that you have a podcast, so it positions you to where you can network with those people that are normally out of reach too. That's something I've done. Um, I've had the opportunity of interviewing some people that, you know, my girlfriend, for example, listened to. He was a, a band, uh, he was in a band that she used to listen to when she was younger and he switched and now he's the head of music partnerships at Cameo. And I'm like, well, I'm actually interviewing somebody that you used to listen to in your emo teen years. So it, it's cool because it allows you to have a platform 
platform that you're, you're delivering to somebody else. But I think the fun of it too is seeing how big you can get it. And that's for, that's for me, like the satisfaction of knowing that, you know, the, the sky's the limit in the sense of there isn't anybody telling me I have to do this. And so it's also a level of self-commitment in a way, way of growing and, and sharing and telling the world too, and telling your business, you know, your fellow colleagues or your clients that you're committed to something. And I think that that is another benefit of a podcast. I mean, there are benefits that I could talk about for literally hours on end. Mm-hmm. And well, there are so many benefits, just learning how to talk. Mm-hmm. Because when you go through the editing process, you realize how many times you say, um, or like, or that, and you figure out what your filler words are. So when you're having those conversations, you can catch yourself and then your communication becomes that much more clearer and effective. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's something too, that I think a lot of people spend an immense amount of time on early on and they strive for this level of perfection. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but having that strife for perse- per- perfection stand in the way of you and publishing a piece of content can also be detrimental because my first like dozen episodes, I remember obsessing over every little detail, you know, and and if you go back, well, you can't even go back because I scrubbed the internet clean on my first podcast, but you would hear dogs barking, birds chirping and everything else. And I would say, um, and I would breathe and then I would edit that out. And I'd be like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. But Shannon, the one thing I realized is that the only person who was paying attention to those little things were me. I was the only person paying attention to those details, but it does help you become a more effective speaker because you're aware of it. Yes, that's the point of having an um counter at Toastmasters is just to make you aware of it because it Mm. does take away from the quality of what you're saying. And I find that the guests that I have that say that um, uh, like and are constantly Mm. using filler words, Mm. constantly stuttering through words, it makes it hard to understand what they're trying to say. This is true. This is true. It, it affects your authority, I think. And I, I just published an article on this the other day about how you can become a more effective speaker. I was like, there's a time for, and see, I just said like right there, mm-hmm. but there is a time for using those filler words. And a lot of times we won't catch it. But when it comes to maintaining uh, educated conversation and, and eliminating those filler words, then you're able to use and express your point better in a more authoritative way, in a way that commands attention or respect. Um, and I mean, that's in my business of personal branding. I don't run a public relations firm that specializes in the corporation and the consumer, but more so the follower and the fo- the public figure. So for example, the person listening to the podcast, or let's say you have a celebrity and the person who is following and is a fan of that celebrity, And a lot of it boils down to how you're positioning yourself as the individual and being able to maintain that conversation and speak from a point of, I am the authority or I am the person of credibility. I know what I'm talking about gets people to listen. Whereas speaking from that or, um, or like, and it's one thing to say it every couple of minutes, but it's another thing. I remember back in high school when certain people would present in front of the class and they would say, like every other sentence as if it was a comma and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, when is this going to be over? That's something that takes time to work on. But what, what is this um counter you're speaking of? I might need to oh, check this out. Have you? Okay. So at Toast, Toastmasters, they is a club to help people become better public speakers. Interesting. And they have a very formalized meeting in that it is set up like a corporate board boardroom and mm. have somebody that takes the minutes and you have somebody that 
opens the meeting and anyway, they have all these things and, and someone that becomes the um counter. So what their job is to do is to count how many times you say, um, the speaker says, um, and then when everyone goes through their, their critiques after the speaker does the speaking, the um counter says, well, this is how many ums that you had just to make you aware of it. Cause a lot of times you think that you've done none and it turns out, oh no, it was filled with, um, but we don't notice. As a Canadian, I don't notice when I say A. Is, so is that true? Uh, let, let's let's have a conversation about that. Is it is it true every Canadian says A like it's like a, a comma as well? Is that just a stereotype? That's a stereotype. Uh, okay. We do. It depends on the level of education and mm. the region that you live in. So if you're from back east, you're probably going to say A a few more times than somebody from out west. Mm. But are, are you bilingual? Can you speak French? No, I, I, that's not a thing in Vancouver, is it? No, if I could speak Mandarin, that would be better, <laughs> but I can't speak Mandarin either. <laughs> I used to be able to speak uh, quite a bit of French. I could at least order a sandwich. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, not so much because there's no one that speaks it. I, it outside of Quebec, there's very few places that speak French significantly mm. you know if you're in ottawa or the english part of hall you've got people that will speak french but they will choose to speak english and interesting there are some places in nova scotia that speak french and my son's going to school there this summer mm. in a small little town in acadia nova scotia to learn how to speak french for six weeks yeah, we don't get to actually practice it very much here in the West Coast at all, but I love mm. Montreal. It is like my favorite city in Canada because it has history, it has culture. And being able to speak a different language is really kind of cool. It it absolutely is. And when I went to France back in 2019, it was such a weird it, it was a culture shock for me from a multiple multiple perspectives, but I'm so used to speaking Spanish because I studied Spanish in school and I continued to learn to where I have like that elementary school proficiency to where if I'm in an Uber and I'm trying to catch a ride, it's like I can communicate and say, Izquierda de la Biblioteca, or it's like I can speak enough to get me around and, and to order a sandwich. Yeah. But when it comes to, to the pronunciation and the enunciation of ease, for example, it's like in Spanish, you say E as in like grande. But in French, the E is a lot of times it's almost like the the U or the O sound or it's silent. And I'm like, this is mentally it's messing up with my brain. So French oh, is one of those languages that all. Then don't go to Quebec really? because Quebec, it isn't Parisian French. It's Quebecois. So in Quebec, they don't say we, oui, they say what. Interesting. So, you know, like we say we oui, and it's what it's very guttural. Um, mm. You know, and their swear words are against the church, not against the body. So where we, where our swear words are all about sex and bodily functions, theirs are all like their biggest swear word is tabernacle, which is tabernacle. It's, but it's a very different kind of guttural sound. Well, they say that it's that way because the people that came to Quebec were mainly farmers 
and peasants, and it was the peasant French, not the noble French, that came to Quebec. So it stayed the same. Whereas that makes sense, actually. whereas in France, the people as they got educated took on the noble French. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I don't know if that's the truth or not, but it is one of those rumors out there as to why it's so different. But you know, language is language. It's important, like with what we do with personal branding, or like in my case, it's more brand storytelling. You have to let use language. It's it's the number one tool in your toolbox mm-hmm. to get out there and get the message to connect with the audiences. So when you're dealing with a client, what's the kind of the number one thing that you want to be able to communicate? Who they are ultimately. And that boils down to not just the profession of what they do. So for example, you could say, yeah, I'm, I'm running a public relations firm. I specialize in personal branding, but in conversation, I don't want people to just think of me for that. I want them to think of Isaac Mashman, my character, who I am, am I trustworthy? Am I credible? Am I hum- like, am I funny? Can I have a conversation? Those sort of things. It's almost like going back to school and you have the class clown or you have a friend group and you have one friend that is more likely to go and cause trouble than the rest of the group. That is a part of their personal brand. It's part of their character. And so when it comes to working with clients, I don't want them to just express the professional side of things. And that's where a lot of people go wrong today is they only talk about, I run funnels, I run marketing, I do this. And there's no longevity in that because 10 years from now, let's say you pivot, you change that no longer interests you, the people who were connecting with you previously for what you did are no longer going to get value and hence unfollow you, forget about you, disconnect. Or there are a lot of different brand accounts that you might subscribe to on YouTube. But if I was to ask you to name any of the co-hosts or any of the hosts, you wouldn't be able to because you're only thinking about the brand. You're not thinking about the person behind it, which means that the brand goes up in smoke. The person goes up in smoke because they, they're forgotten. And I always start with that. You know, I want people to be known for who they are, not just for what they do, but the, the what they do, the professional side has a time and a place because it adds credibility to their character. It, it adds a, this is a person who I can learn from and trust in this specific field, but that all boils down to positioning. That's where I start at. And then I can get into the technical side of things of, well, are you competing with anybody else that has your name? Are you competing with another person? What have you done in the past that is going to build you and contribute to your credibility? And then how can you voice that to the public's viewpoint, the things that they might have overlooked? I had one client who I started working with who was a Canadian out of Toronto, about 20 minutes away, and come to find out she was mentioned in magazines and she's spoken at a conference in 500, 600 different places. And she didn't even tell me about it until like two months into our work together. And I'm talking to her, I'm Christina, why did you never tell me about this? And she's like, oh, just, I don't know. And I'm thinking to myself, that right there is a perfect example of a way that we could position you and say, hey, she has spoken in front of hundreds of people before. She's been featured in an HR magazine. And that right there is a, is a way that you can position uh, yourself as somebody of authority, as that public figure. And most people are afraid of putting the focus on themselves because they were raised to say, don't seek attention or don't talk to strangers or don't you know, talk about yourself when that's the one thing you should be doing. And by extension, you're going to be able to provide value and help other people in the process. Yeah, because what you're talking about is brand credibility. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And a brand funnel has a lot of different layers. And if those layers don't connect through the story, uh, you're going to end up with these gaps and people aren't going to know where to go. So they're going to turn and leave the funnel, not because they want to, but because there's no other option. 
Right. When you start with brand awareness, where do you like to position your customers when they're trying to get brand awareness? A lot of a lot of times this answer to might might go ahead and, and brush people the wrong way, but every single person I work with, I always have them positioned as the public figure. You have to be the person that you are seeking the attention of. You are the person that people are coming and paying to see speak rather than the person who is paying and seeing other people speak. That would be a perfect example of, of what I do. And that can make a, make a person uncomfortable because now they're saying, oh, so I'm not only just building out my personal brand, but you want me to actually be the person that everybody pays attention to. Absolutely. Because you have to in order to get a massive amount of attention that translates into something. Anybody can replace a minimum wage income or a six-figure income by building out their personal brand to a certain degree and a certain level. You're known in the right network. You're known in your city. You're known locally. If you want to become well-known to where you can accomplish the goals that you keep telling me of making millions of dollars, or having millions of followers, then there is no other option than positioning yourself as that public figure. And that boils down on a case-to-case basis of, well, if you're the dentist, then you are the number one dentist that everybody wants to follow and learn from that shares the facts. But you're also the father. You're also the friend. You're also the teacher. You're also the person who people can follow and connect with. If you're the doctor, if you're the underwater basket weaver, stupid as it might sound, it's like, you can position yourself as the number one underwater basket weaver, share your story as to how you got started. I I can't only think but about the models that are well known now because they look physically attractive in the public's eye. They have the physique, they look the the part, but a decade from now, how many of them are still going to be relevant once the figure starts to not be as it was, you know, a decade ago. Now, the way that you stay and you cement yourself as somebody that they're still going to follow and build out a fan base is, Imagine if a model shares their story and share how they got into modeling yeah. and then they start to share about their passion or maybe a nonprofit or they share about, you know, their childhood. Then now you have people who are connecting with them for who they are and not just for what they do professionally as the model. Mm-hmm. Those are important pieces because when you think of the models that have big names, they had personal brands. Now mm-hmm. they didn't have to go out and do that back in the eighties because they had agencies that did it for them and they became super models. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in today's world, that lands on the responsibility of the individual. In a lot of cases, absolutely. And it's also yeah. made agencies and talent and all this other thing, not necessarily obsolete, but not as needed because mm-hmm. anybody can build up their own personal brand and go viral and create content or get into the press. And they don't necessarily need representation from it, but it definitely helps, definitely can benefit and expedite your growth. I can think of somebody who is close to me as a model and he has an agent. He doesn't need the agent, but in order to get the results quicker while he's working a full-time job doing everything else, having somebody else rooting for you is the same thing as having a team behind you and building a business. You can build a business by yourself, but having a team of other people who are also sharing the same vision or the same goal and wanting to accomplish the same things can help you tremendously. Anybody today can become a celebrity, which is a wild thought because 50 years ago in Hollywood or TV, television, you needed to have those connections because you couldn't just pick up the phone, go to LinkedIn, type in the owner of BET or the owner of entertainment or anything like that, or the publicist and send them an email and send them a connection request. You couldn't do that 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. If you sent them a piece of mail, go in the trash and it wouldn't even get past the secretary. So it's like today that barrier to entry is so low. It is. And it wasn't even 50 years ago. It was 15, 20 years ago, you couldn't do it. It's only been in the last 
five to 10 years that you have really been able to become an influencer to the point mm. where, yeah, people will start calling you to book gigs instead of, but you have to really be able to position yourself as like, you want to be a model. You have to let that, that industry know why you are a model. Like, why would they call you? Do you have training? Are you like the right look? They're going to see that. But whether or not you show up as a professional who is well-trained and knows how to do the walk, knows how to do the pose, knows how to be beyond set or whatever they call it, you know, that's important. Those are important factors. Yeah, 100%. That's where word of mouth also comes in too, which I think is an underrated piece in today's world. Don't realize that word of mouth, every single time somebody shares your post, that's a form of word of mouth. They might not be necessarily going to somebody and saying, you need to pick up this magazine or handing a physical magazine, but sharing an Instagram post is a way of saying, hey, watch this video. I watched it. You should watch it too. That is a form of word of mouth. And that is so important. And and even behind the scenes, for example, these models, it's funny that we're on this topic because I feel like models is such, I was just having a conversation about this with my girlfriend the other day of, you know, whenever you're going and you're modeling now, all of a sudden that photographer is going to tell another photographer, hey, you need to book this person. Hey, you need to book this person. This person behind the scenes, you know, whenever they're going out for drinks, they're talking and they're saying, I just had the shoot with this guy. He's undiscovered, but he's going to be something. Now the peaks, the interest, and then the door gets open. And then now one person tells another person tells another. Yeah. And we, and it's always been like that. That has been a huge part of any industry is that word of mouth, people talking because we've always had reputations. The only difference and now having it as a personal brand is that you are part of that conversation where before your reputation had everything to do with what other people said, other people were saying. Now your reputation starts with what you say about yourself. And that's a huge difference. Well, and the other thing is I want to make it known to your personal brand like what it is you've had it from the day you were born and we could go back to the time when jesus walked the earth or even precursing that to nebuchadnezzar and all the kings of the old days in mesopotamia it's like i mentioned this in my book um personal branding a manifesto on fame and influence about how personal branding goes way back into way prior to globalization and napoleon hills think and grow rich when he talks about personal branding it goes way back when to where you had certain kings or chieftains that were more feared than others, certain that were more revered. Kings stayed in power because of the divine right for hundreds of years through generation to generation to generation because of personal branding. And so your personal brand isn't something that you create yourself. Your parents actually created it. But you being aware of your personal brand and the power it holds, now you're able to direct it and influence it. Um, but it's not something that's like, you know, a lot. it's a misconception that people have whenever they say, I have to create a new personal brand. No, you just have to direct the one that you've already had. You might evolve it. You might have an iteration of it. For example, my podcast, as I mentioned earlier, it was something different than it evolved into something new. I didn't create a new podcast. I did that in the past, but I, I knew I didn't need to. I just needed to evolve it and change it, you know, make it something a little bit different. And that's, I think the point too, because you think about Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he started out doing football and then he did WWE, but now he's doing acting and then he bought the XFL and then he did X, Y, and Z, but you don't know him for what he does. You know him for who he is. And that's a perfect example that I could give as well. Yeah. And that is a really great example. And, you know, our brand stories start with where we're born. So the decisions and choices that our parents made start our story. 
but it's what we do with our lives and along the journey that will determine mm -hmm. where our story ends. It'll also decide where our children's story starts, when it starts and who, how it starts and where, where it takes them at the beginning. That's why family story and understanding family, uh, where you come from and your roots is important because when you do that, you can find those intergenerational values that were passed on from one generation to the next generation through example and why you have those values. So sometimes you have a value or you have a habit that you want to break. Well, it's good to know where it came from in order to figure out how to break it. But for the most part, you know, those things that the, those behaviors and values that our parents and grandparents put into us are baked in our DNA. I was working my entire time to go to college, to go and pursue a degree. In my senior year, I said, sorry, mom, I'm not doing it. Told my professor or told my, my, you know, guidance counselor. And I was like, I'm not doing college. I'm not doing it. And it's funny because this year would actually mark the four. It, it would mark my graduation year, mm -hmm. right? Like right now where I'm at. And I was, I've been thinking about this a lot lately of, am I ahead or am I behind? And what would it, what would have been different if I chose to go down that path? Just as that fun, you know, rhetorical question in my mind. And, and I think you've probably done the right thing in that you're going out and figuring out what you want before you pay money for school. Well, the education I've gotten to has been free, which yeah. is interesting. And I've, I, I think, too, it's like I use the example of throw me in the room with anybody else who went to school for public relations. They might be able to answer some of the technical laws and such a little bit more a university standpoint and might be able to provide the correct definition. But when it comes from an experience standpoint, I have the time advantage on them. But it's also, I didn't want to measure my, where I was going based off of where everybody else would. And that's also what's kind of kept me going to where I might be moving faster and faster and faster than everybody else, because I'm not like, I'm aware of that. I might be ahead, but I'm also aware that I'm behind somebody else, you know, and that always gives you kind of a metric and understanding where you want to go. I think you're right in that you're actually ahead too, because now you are entrepreneurial and you've gone out and you figured out what you wanted. You figured out how to do it. It's that independence that enables you to start your own company and take on that risk of not having that paycheck or that title. Or Whereas when we go through the school system, we're really trained how to be employees. So the people coming out of those programs are out looking for jobs right now. One, because they have to pay back the student loans. Two, because they're so used to being told what to do and how to think. And what's the next project? What's the next assignment? What's the next? Or you've had to go out and figure that out for yourself. Totally different types of education. I think that's something, too, that stands the same across the world. Interestingly enough, speaking about languages and barriers and such of, I'm sure that it's the same in Canada. Colleges probably teach pretty much the same. Oh, yeah. Go to oh, yeah. France or anywhere else, the UK, it's going to be the same, following orders from somebody. Yeah, the yeah, capitulation no. of, of people. But no, interesting conversations. But it also boils down to having an understanding of marketing and having an understanding of, of human behavior. A lot of personal branding has to do with psychology and understanding how a human would potentially react and predicting the outcome of a post or predicting the outcome of a change to the brand or a change of the name. What is the perception? And you have to be able to predict that. And it's something that 
you know, when I was when I was younger, I, I used to pay attention to brands without even realizing it, you know, reading the Lysol bottle or reading the bottle and what the ingredients are, or what the brand looked like or what they included on the bottle of Coca-Cola. And then it was the reason they made that look a certain way or chose that brand color was because of the psychological implication. Yeah. And now I'm in the position to where every single minor detail, whether it could be a spelling error in the bio to where or an extra space or the photo doesn't show their face or something like that. All of those little details add up. And most people today don't care. They don't care about the small details, but the small details can actually turn somebody off to where you no longer look like the person of authority. You look like just everybody else. Mm -hmm. And yeah, fascinating conversation. Yeah, no, you've, you've touched on something there because a lot of people will say, like, I mean, it's like everyone and their dog is trying to teach somebody something nowadays. And I've heard people teaching on copywriting that say, oh, spelling doesn't matter. Uh, grammar, I mean, in copywriting, grammar doesn't matter because it's a totally different type of copyright, a totally different type of way of writing, but it still has structure. There is still a way of doing it right. But people who are, want it to not matter and that you can make these mistakes and it's okay. I not sure that that is the case. If you want to be seen, it depends on how you want to be seen and it depends on your brand. One of the words that you use to describe your brand is professional, then your brand needs to look professional. You have to understand what does professional mean in the marketplace? What does that look like to other people? Not to you, not so much to yourself, but your audience. What would they consider a professional to look like and how a professional acts? How does a professional spell? How does a professional talk? Yeah. But if you don't use professional as a word in your brand and it's more dude, like dude <laughs> is the word that you use for your brand, it's okay to have the odd spelling mistake and use like every second word and do those things that dudes do, right? Um, there's, this, there's this indistinguishable line though that isn't firm it's there's no it's a blurry line because there's no this is it of taking dude right <laughs> that example too far towards too dude like to yeah. where it's just goofy towards like a gimmick versus how it's something that can still be perceived or per too professional to where it's professional or you're leaning into it's just white collar lawyer or yeah. it's professional but still personable and that's also like our job is to kind of just determine where is that balance of professional but personable? Where is that balance of goofy but serious? Mm -hmm. Where is the line of I am your friend, but I am also a teacher? So it's like there, there are those different lines that every single thing you mentioned, the brand funnel earlier, and I think of you know the chemistry of your personal brand. You have all these different pieces of the puzzle that fit together to make you, or to make your brand, or to make a company's brand. You know, you ask somebody what the brand is, they would think about the name and the logo. They would very rarely answer that question with, "Oh, what the brand stands for." Yeah. But they're subconsciously aware of it, but they don't consciously think of mentioning it. Right. Well, your brand is more than the logo. It is absolutely what you stand for. It is. Like when I start with clients, I give them a workbook to help them define their five core values. And then I end up telling values-based stories around those values. But someone like Kim Kardashian, they are, their focus is on how they look. 
their focus is on being perfect and seeing being seen as I can't smile in any picture. Like any picture that does not meet their their standard, their structure, it has to be removed. There was a picture of her being completely getting up in the morning with hair all over the place. She couldn't post that because it doesn't meet her brand because her brand is based on her image. Other people, their brand is based on what they do for a living. If they're a realtor or a lawyer or because now they, especially with a lawyer, a lawyer has to act like a lawyer would act. Otherwise they're not seen as being serious. Yet if she did do that post, let's say she just woke up in the morning, her hair is crazy. She really doesn't have any makeup on. She might have last night's makeup on and she's sipping a cup of coffee, like a photo like that. That would be the one thing though, that would absolutely blow up the internet. You know, there, again, there's, there are these different cognitive biases talking about psychology. The halo effect, for example, is the reason celebrities exist. Mm -hmm. It's saying that because of one trait, because of maybe the followers, that person is somehow above us, right? Celebrities, because of their fame, they're somehow better than the average person when it's simply not true. They're just another person that has a lot of attention or a lot of success. Mm -hmm. But if she was to do that post, the media would completely tear it up because it's atypical of what she normally does. It's the same thing as if a lawyer they definitely have a presentation to withhold and to maintain. And it's also, there's a time for your company brand, and then there's a time for your personal brand. Yep. They're two separate entities. And they so are. that lawyer, they might be representing the company and holding that persona, but personally, they might make a post and show they're out camping or they're with their family or at a nice dinner, and that wouldn't be going against their brand because it's a part of it. And so interesting topic though of mentioning Kim K, because now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through and look at her Instagram and say, can I see her smiling in any of these? Well, like an I, actual I, genuine smile. I don't know. I mean, I don't follow Kim. I mean, I just see the ones <laughs> of the pictures that I do see. And it's like, does a girl ever smile? It's But um, I get the point. Yeah, I get, I get the point. And people have told me like, smile, Isaac, smile. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. Like I'll do a smirk and stuff, but I very rarely like actually do like a full grin smile. But at the same time, it's like, those are the unique things that, that make people think of you. The thing though is, is that personal branding brings you opportunity. It enables people to know who you are and which slot to fit you in when it comes to an opportunity. And that's an important piece to always keep in mind when you're telling your story. If you are a lawyer, you want to be the marijuana lawyer. You know, you'd, you'd want to be talking about 420. You know, what did you do on April 20th? It's okay to be a little bit more casual and look a certain way. Mm -hmm. but but even then if you had a let's say a high profile lawyer that you would think to be suit and tie there's a time to where they could throw in something personable yeah. that would completely give people a different perspective of them and if he, if anything those personal posts would actually drive somebody to want to work with them all the more because oh, they're agree. able to establish more rapport they're they're I able agree. to establish more trust the deeper relationship and understanding with and that's why i love this because I have to think to myself, how would somebody perceive you? How would somebody perceive this, you know, action uh, and it's reputation management and being aware of your reputation and, and how it is being managed and influencing and directing it. I don't know. It's, it's a lot of fun to work for an online review site and online reviews are, are a big part of reputation management. 100%. And how to get those reviews and how to get the language incorrect and 
what to do with a bad review and all that stuff um, really has changed the way that we assess the people and the businesses that we work with. The, the bell curve, there's always people in the middle. I think most people aren't overly trollish or judgmental if somebody does one bad thing that is out of character. Um, but you do always have those trolls that kind of come after your brand. A lot of people are scared to put out their personal brand because these trolls go after these celebrities and these bigger names. Have you ever had trolls come after some of your clients? Well, clients, yes. Personally, yes. And it's one of those things to where, you know, you don't let it get to you. And actually you embrace it because you realize that you're being seen. As long as you're not doing something that is deserving of being trolled. And sometimes there's a time and a place to do that too and to pull a PR stunt or be more gimmicky to where you can do something kind of really gimmicky out of the blue to catch attention as a hook. But there's a difference between doing that and actually being a gimmick yourself as the brand. I think about a couple of years ago, there was a platform that precursed Instagram's reels called Lasso. And I was one of the star creators on it. And my videos were picked up and, and I was putting out just these motivational clips. This person recorded a video and he ripped my channel apart. He ripped the platform apart. He ripped me apart. And it was a 20 minute video. And he got like 300,000 views on that video or something like that. And I'm like, that's the most exposure I think I've ever gotten. I'll take it. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm giving myself the high five because I got noticed by this YouTuber and I'm like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm not, you know, against that. But then you also have negative cases too. And you have to be careful as it can also take a toll on somebody mentally and emotionally. I can understand that because now you have a thousand people saying, oh, you look ugly or, oh, you gained weight or, oh, you look like this. And so that's a lot of attention to where you have to make sure that you're not letting it impact you on a deep level. And if anything, drive you forward on a positive, in a positive way. And so, yeah, I mean, that's just one of the things that comes with it and, and comes with being known. When it comes to influencers, there are so many different ones out there right now. And it's a world that, where do you see influencer marketing going in the next few years? Growing tremendously. Did you know that there is not one PR firm in the world that is worth a billion dollars? Fun fact. Out of all these industries with billion dollar industries and even trillion dollar, there is not one billion dollar public relations firm. Edelman is the number one PR firm in the world and they're worth about 900 million um, in, in revenue. Now, influencer marketing is increasingly affecting our everyday behavior and it scares me, which is funny. I'm saying that it scares me and it's something that I'm almost concerned about while I'm in the industry and this is my bread and butter of what puts food on the table. You know, for example, my girlfriend will find recipes off of Pinterest and off of influencers. She'll make buying decisions off of influencers. And that's happening to us on an everyday basis. And that's why you ever see Shaquille O'Neal on a printer commercial. There's a, a, a printer commercial for Epson with Shaquille O'Neal. That is a form of influencer marketing. Now it would be celebrity marketing, but celebrities are influencers. Not all influencers are celebrities. And so it is going to be growing. It's already, I believe an $8 billion industry, but it's going to be growing to 10 billion, 50 billion, 100 billion. And as more percentages of the world are um, getting acclimated to the internet, we're going to see more influencers on an international level, such as Africa. Africa is, is being globalized right now and, and industrialized. And that means that there are going to be more influencers on an international level that are influencing Western culture and Eastern culture and vice versa. And 
I'm curious to see how it's going to affect people and kids a decade from now, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you ask a kid, what do you want to be? A football star, a movie actress, a model, blah, 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 blah. Today, I want to be a YouTuber. I want to do what Mr. Beast does. And so it's influencing our behavior. But then again, our behavior has always been influenced by Hollywood, but not to this level. We had kids you know, a decade, two decades ago that would go outside and play. You know, when I was growing up, I would go outside and I'd be entertained by dirt, you know, today. And, and I was somebody who even then, if my mom or grandparents were more technologically inclined or pro-technology, I, I still could have been behind the computer 24-7. But now a decade from now or next year, even you have these kids that are being born around this technology. And so influencer marketing is affecting them as an infant. But it, there's also a lot of opportunity to make money and to be a nano influencer or a micro influencer or to understand how you can monetize that attention to where you could run an advertisement for a podcast or make money from selling a book. All of these other aspects are literally hundreds of ways of monetization today, thousands. People need to figure out when they start building their, their following, they go, oh, I'm going to make a lot of money, but you have to have a plan. You have to know how are you going to monetize this? What are you going to do? What's the end game? Because it is a business. It's not, I mean, when your personal brand becomes a business, but everyone needs to have a personal brand. If you have a career, if you are looking for a job, your personal brand helps to keep you employed and to get you that first job or second. What's the resume? It's your personal brand. It's, yep, it's, a, it's a representation of who you are and why somebody would care. Yep. Man, I've enjoyed this conversation, Shannon. I didn't know yes. what to expect, but we were able to have a technical conversation that oftentimes I don't get into. It's surface level, but this is a deeper conversation. I enjoy it. Yeah, I don't like surface level conversations. They're not really fun. <laughs> I can tell. Say, so Isaac, uh, where can people find you online? You can find me literally everywhere at Isaac Mashman, I-S-A-A-C-M-A-S-H-M-A-N. I have a podcast as well called Chase the Vision with Isaac Mashman. And I published my first book, Personal Branding and Manifesto on Fame and Influence last year. Came the number one new release in public relations on Amazon. You could find that on Amazon or going to my website, isaacmashman.com forward slash book. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today, Isaac. Well, Shannon, thank you for having me on.